0: All right, greetings once again from Fremonti Free Church. We are back here again on a Monday. The weather is looking great this week. It's spring break. The birds are in the air. It's springtime. It's pretty exciting. So we are we are in Acts chapter 12 today. Uh, Acts 12:20 20 to 25. Uh, again, I, I would just say before we get started here that. At the end of the month, we're looking to do a question and answer session. So if you have questions, please send them our way. We did get one question last week. And so that was encouraging that at least one person listened to our podcast. And, and has a it, question. And send in a question. So that's good. So we're collecting a few more. Uh, I think we'll probably aim for two weeks down the road. So you have a couple more weeks to get your question in. And if, if we just have one, that's okay. We'll just answer that one maybe at the end of a podcast. Um, but we would love to have some more. So if you have any questions... Uh, if you want to ask Jim questions about Star Wars and the canon of Star Wars, that's fine. You can do that. Or uh, maybe more appropriately for the nature of our podcast, if you have any theological questions, you can send them our way. And we'll do our best to answer, not to say that we have all the answers. Certainly, there's there's plenty of questions out there that Jim and I would have to, in good conscience, say, we don't know. Um, but we would love to just entertain that as a, a way of uh, maybe mixing things up on the podcast. So if you have them, send them our way. But today, we are talking about a pretty interesting passage Acts twelve twenty to 25, where Herod is struck down um, by an angel, eaten by worms, and breathes his last. So I, I actually think it's a passage that has quite a bit of relevance for us as we think about world events around us. But um, all that to say, Jim, I would love to hear your initial thoughts. Uh, I think that's the way we usually start, and that usually kind of launches us into some good discussion points. So um, what was it that stuck out to you first as, as you thought about this passage from yesterday?
1: Yeah, I think between just thinking about the passage and then talking in our small group last night, I think the I think the thing that kinda really kind of stood out to me was that this that this was the moment that Herod died. I mean Herod's a bad dude all the way around, right? You sure. know I mean in and,
0: general we would say that, yeah.
1: Right, right. You know, he kills James. Right. Angel doesn't kill him there. Right. You know, he imprisons Peter with the intent to kill him as well. Yep. The angel doesn't kill Herod there. Right. But it's this moment where the people shouted the voice of a God and not of a man, and he is elevated to this position of God, that that is the thing that strikes, that causes the angel to strike Herod to kill him. To go, wow! It is a high, that is a high offense, right? To to claim some sort of a deity status, um, that that is the thing that can cause. Because I would think, oh yeah, man, you kill, you know, one of Jesus's inner three disciples, like that's right. worthy of death, right there. Like that's a good like reason to send the angel down. Sure, um, but that isn't. But it's in this moment that he does, and that just made me just really go, wow, that is highly offensive. Like, this is highly offensive to the Lord when anybody makes themselves out to be God.
0: Right. Couldn't you make the argument, though, that really anytime we disobey the commands of God, that's what we're doing? Um, meaning, like, we know what the commands of God say, and yet we think our way is better. And in and some level, and so I guess what I'm getting out is what happens here with Herod is really kind of a microcosm of, of sin in general. Like now I understand there's an obvious element to it, right? The voice of a God and not a man. Like I right. get that. Right. But anytime you disobey the commands of God, in essence, you are putting yourself in the role of God saying, I know better, like I am I am more wise, wiser, whatever. Like I have more wisdom in this situation than the God who gave the commands. And so like I guess what I'm getting at is that at at the heart of every sin is us essentially replacing like if you think even back to Genesis three that's kind of what happens right that God says this, and Satan says yeah but did God really say that or or isn't really isn't really God doing it for this reason and so what Satan does is calls into question the wisdom of God and says you know don't don't I isn't it possible that I know better or isn't it possible that Adam and Eve you know better like. And so I guess what I'm getting at, like, I think lots of times we undersell sin and think it's not really that big of a deal. Um, In particular, we tend to have, like, a hierarchy of sins. Like, well, you know, if, if you commit adultery on your spouse and leave your kids, well, that's terrible. But if you gossip, well, that's not really that big of a deal. But the problem is, like, at the root of all sin is us replacing God and saying, yeah, but I know God says not to gossip, to use that as an example, but I know better than what God says. Like, and so... Uh, while well, well, I understand the obvious nature of what's going on with Herod, I think you could make the argument that at the root of all sin is the same sin, which is to say we are putting ourselves in the place of God and saying we know better than he does, and therefore we become our own little God in that moment. So I, I think that's actually the part of the passage that, like ironically enough, like I, I thought a lot about the mercy of God in this passage. Um, and and I, I think that's strange. Like I, I, The reason why I say ironic is because if you look at the passage, you'd say, well, this is a passage about the justice of God. Right. Because he rains down justice on Herod for refusing to give glory. And and right. and no doubt, the justice of God is on display. But what I kept finding myself thinking about is, if, if God did this every time a person deserved to be struck down, we would have all died a long time ago. Because at the root of all sin is this idea that we are replacing God and saying we know better than he does. So, yeah, I guess I I, I I'm totally with you on what you're saying. And at the same time, I would say that's kind of at the root of all sin. And that's, that's where the mercy of God becomes very apparent.
1: Yeah, so help me um, work this out here. Yeah. Because I hear the idea that we don't want to think that like there are less egregious sins or more egregious sins, that all sin is offensive to God. Sure. But yet there does seem to be this idea that there are some sins that are more egregious to God. Yeah. So it's almost like we're holding these, it's almost paradoxical. We're yeah. holding these two truths in tension. So how do we, how do we work through that? Because you're right. I want to minimize sin and I don't want to sit there and say, well, Hey, I'm not like Herod, you know, I'm not that wicked. Um, uh, Cause I know what is in my heart. And I know that when I disobey and uh, that I am sitting at my own throne to rule it in, in, in my own way. That is my own rebellion of saying, this is my way of being God because I'm going to decide what is right. And I'm going to decide what is wrong. Um, but yet at the same time, there are some pretty wicked people that do really, really terrible things. And not everybody does like Herod, right. Sure. In this mm-hmm. instance that, you know, I think Jesus, I mean, I was trying to look it up and I, and I know there's, there's a parable that Jesus uses where he talks about where some will receive many lashes and some will receive few lashes sure. and eternal punishment. So you do get a sense that there's a, there's a, a variety of punishment, strictness or not as much. So how do you, how do you work through all of that?
0: Great question. Um, and again, I don't know that we're going to be able to answer this perfectly, but I'm going to do my best just to talk through it out loud. First of all, I don't think what happens here is that, Herod reaches a certain threshold whereby all people would be struck down. Because I think there's people who've done things worse than Herod and not been struck down. Sure. So I think we have to start... I think there's something going on with Herod that's a particular example to us, right? So, um, you know, I I don't disagree that, like, a person who gossips a little and, like, what Herod does, like, are there degrees of sin? Well, well, probably, right? Like, but so I was thinking of a couple things. Like, one, James 10, uh, whoever... Well, let me just read James 10. I don't want to paraphrase here, but uh, James 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So let's start with the theology of sin in general. The issue is not that there has to be a certain threshold of sin in order for us to become guilty and therefore liable to hell, right? Like once you've committed a thousand and one sins, like if you commit a thousand, you're fine, a thousand and one, you're in trouble. I don't think that's what James 2 is saying, right? Like once we've broken one, we've become guilty of breaking all of it. Um, even, even Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death, not the wages of sins is death, the wages of sin is death. So I, I think we're, we're not saying, okay, if, if you only commit X amount of sins, you're fine, if, but if you commit more than this, you're in trouble. I think what we're also not saying is there are certain sins that you'd be liable for judgment, but other ones not so much. I don't think we're saying that either, right? Like if, if you break the law at any point, you become guilty of breaking all of it. So, you know, even David, when he commits... I'm, I'm really just talking in a stream of consciousness here, so feel free to, to jump in at any point. Like, yeah, I'm I think gonna, everybody knows this isn't scripted. I'm We're doing gonna, this Yeah, off I'm just going to throw out a lot of things I'm thinking about as you ask that question. When David sins against Bathsheba, and against Uriah too, right? He has Uriah murdered. Like, it's interesting that he says, against you and you only have I sinned, Lord. Like, that's how he responds. I think that's in the Psalms, if I'm not mistaken. It could be. Second Samuel, or First Samuel, but, 1 Samuel, but I, I think that's in the Psalms where he says it, against you and you only have sin. sinned. So he, he realizes his primary offense there was that he's gone against the Holy God. So I, I think, let's start with the starting point that the, the worst sin that any of us commit is that we've rebelled against the Holy God, and all of us have done that. Right. However, I, I don't disagree with you that there are certain sins that we would still say are more grievous in God's eyes than others, right? Like, right. Um. And even like like let's let's use the example of, of marriage, right? Like that there's certain sins that God allows for there to be an exception for divorce, sexual morality, but he doesn't make that same exception for say gossip. He says, Well, you know, if your spouse gossips, you're free to re- divorce and remarry, right? Like right. and I'm I'm not getting into a long conversation about divorce or marriage. I'm just saying that's the exception that's offered, sexual morality. So there's something about that sin that is tangibly different. Right. And so we have to say, Well, there there must be a hierarchy at some level to sin, saying that this is more grievous to God than others, while at the same time acknowledging that the greatest problem many of us have is that we've offended a holy God, and that therefore we all are subject to God's righteous judgment. Right. So how do we make sense of all that, and you know, how do we... Is there, is there um, some in hell who will receive a harsher punishment it seems maybe, right? Like based on the text that you were Yeah, I just earlier. pulled
1: it up here. This was in Luke um, 12, uh, 40, uh, 47. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will re- will receive a severe beating. And the one who did not know and did what was deserving of a beating, he will receive a light beating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, like on the on the side of of heaven, like are there rewards in heaven? Like, well, it seems like it actually, right? I, I mean, I think again, we're getting in all kinds of rabbit holes here, we're but I, I think I think yeah. yes, I would say yes. But the important thing is that you're there and that you're with Christ. I think you'll be able to rejoice that others get rewards. On the other side right. of the ledger, it does seem like in hell there's probably worse punishments. Not the worst part is that you'll be there, but it seems like there's maybe worse punishments for more egregious sins. But again, the the problem is primarily that you've offended against the holy, or have offended a holy God. So, now would we say, bring it back to the passage here? Would we say that what Herod did was Herod a worse guy than most? Well. Probably, yeah. Right. But are there worse people than Herod that have not received a judgment like that? I would argue yes to that too. Like, So I don't think the point is that Herod got so bad that he had to be eaten by worms and died. I think God is using him as an example. And I would still argue his greatest issue was not that he killed James, but that he was putting himself on the throne of God, which is kind of what all of us do when we sin. So feel free to jump in on any of that, push back on any of that, you know, wrestle, just throw out your random thoughts too, but that that's how I would just process your question right. And it
1: does seem like it is a paradox that we have to hold a little bit in tension, right? I mean, I think that is something that we have to kind of, yeah. at the end of the day, come to the conclusion of, is that to re- recognize that we, that all sin is egregious, and that our rebellion against God is the same as Herod's rebellion against God, and to recognize that um, that we all want to set up our own kingdom and rule in our own way. And that is direct rebellion against God. It, it sets you up to be God, right? I mean, that is really what we all do is when we say, I want to do it my way, I'm determining what's right or wrong. I'm acting as creator at that moment. Right. And and so I, so I do see that, but yet there are people that get, are viewed, even Bible talks about, you know, wickedness of people and the wickedness that they do. And some are more wicked than others. Right. And so it does seem like there is something there too. And maybe we just have to wrestle with that tension.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you a follow-up question since you put me on the spot with a difficult question. Like, All right, here we go. what difference do you think that makes tangibly in terms of how we live on a daily basis? Like, um, Just meaning like, is this just a theoretical talk or does this have implications, do you think, for how we live? And by the way, in asking that, I don't have an answer off the top of my head, so I'm really putting you on the spot. But I'm just wondering, like, does it have implications for how we live on a daily basis or is this just more of a theoretical, like, it's interesting to think about type question?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think it it should have implications, right? Because I think... It should cause a pretty somber self-evaluation, right? To say, what am I doing today to set up my own kingdom? Sure. You know, what am I doing today that still, you know, even though, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, I know that I make dis- choices and decisions every day that are not based on Christ's lordship of my life, but my own lordship of my own life, right? Sure. And so probably good to recognize that. And you're right, because I probably do think I'm probably a little bit better than I really am. Right. Right. Because I'm not actively, you know, doing really terrible things. And, um, and so that can cause me to put a little more confidence in myself and not, and not to do that self-evaluation of what am I doing to establish my own kingdom today? As opposed to what am I doing to submit and follow Christ in his kingdom?
0: Right. Yeah. So I w- I would agree that the the idea that we've all offended a holy God and therefore we're on level playing ground in terms of our sinfulness like that should absolutely have implications for us. Right. Um, primarily in that we shouldn't think of ourselves as somehow you know not as bad sinners as of others and therefore not deserving judgment. Like because the biggest problem is that we've offended a holy God. Like that's the worst sin that any of us have committed is that right. we've offended a holy God. Right. I guess I'm just trying to think out loud. Is there an implication for the fact that there maybe are some sins that are more egregious than others in God's sight? Mm. And I'm not, I'm not sure if that has daily implications, mm. but I think it's true. So I, I'm not sure what to do with that one. I think the first, the first part of the equation that we've all offended the Holy God does have implications for how we live. Right. We, there should be a humility to us. Like, and even this passage, I think, should produce a humility in us to realize, like, we could have been heard. Like, th- there, there's definitely a moment where God would have been right in our lives to strike us down. The first minute we sinned, and right. he didn't do it. Like, and that right. should—and and instead, Jesus died for us, right? Like, the mercy of God was displayed for us. Like, that should absolutely produce humility. I'm just trying to think out loud. Is there a daily implication for the fact that there maybe are sins that are more egregious than others? And I'm not sure if I know an answer to that question. Well,
1: and I think that to be careful of a simply slippery slope, right? That um, we may think I'm not, you know, I'm not doing any egregious sins, but you know, my sins that I do have aren't that big of a deal, but can lead to other places, right? Sure. They can take you down a
0: road. I suppose the slippery slope on the other end could be to say, well, everyone is sinned and um you know whether I gossip or whether I commit adultery well it doesn't really matter because they're all the same anyway so I might as well just sin egregiously. I suppose that would be that would be the slippery slope on the other end is to say, well, no there is a difference here like right. um and and like you're putting yourself in the crosshairs of God's judgment even more so by thinking that way. I don't know. I mean right. obviously this is This is a complicated conversation, and I doubt that we're really doing it justice. Um, And it's not, you know, just in case anyone's wondering who's ever listening, like we, I don't think we've ever really talked about what we're going to talk about ahead of time. So it's not like we had time to prepare for this earlier today and think, well, let's talk about this. Like we just kind of, we're just going off the cuff here. But I think it is an interesting conversation I mean, we could... Uh, I don't know if I want to go there. But like, there's some real interesting ethical questions in terms of, like, are there certain sins that are more egregious than others? Like, since I've already opened the can, I'll just go there for a second. <laughs> but, like, like, with Rahab, right? Um, it's really interesting what happens with Rahab, that she lies, it would seem, to protect the lives of the Israelite spies. And in Hebrews, you kind of get the sense that she was right to do so. Like, and right. so... Does that mean that there is a triage there of like which I'm forced in a bad situation here where I'm either going to have to give up the the position of these guys and therefore see them murdered, or I'm going to have to lie and therefore it's better to do this? Like, I you know, right. I don't know. Like th- that's complicated. This is Christian ethics 101. Like it gets complicated to say like, well, is there a triage here? And I would argue in the case of Rahab, maybe there was right. Like. Right. So yeah, I, I didn't mean I didn't mean to go to the Rahab question, um, <laughs> but I, I do think there there is that implication of it as well. Yeah. All right. Well, do we want to get out of the weeds for a little bit? Is there anything else in in this passage that you want to talk about? Anything else that came out in your gospel? Can you group last night? Well, I think
1: I think it was interesting to kind of think about like like this is a really odd thing just to put in here, right? You just have this victorious. What's before it is this victorious rescue of Peter. And what comes after this is the beginning of Paul and Barnabas taking the gospel to the Gentiles on their first missionary journey. Right. And yet we got this in the middle that got dropped in here. Yeah. Like you could probably take this out and it would flow pretty seamlessly without it being in there. So one of the things that I was just kind of thinking through last night, we were talking is like, so why is this here? Like, why did Luke decide just to drop these five or six verses in here for us? You know, um,
0: what was your theory?
1: Well, one of my thought was, you know, at the time that Luke writes this letter to Theophilus and circulating around the early church, that there's probably still there's still suffering going on, right? Oh, without church question, is still being persecuted. Believers if anything, are still maybe being persecuted. Like maybe this just was was just something that was that Luke intentionally put in here to say, you know what? In your suffering, Jesus is going. God is going to take care of everything. Right. You know. Evil is not going to win the day, you know, that, uh, and so trust God, trust what he's doing in the light of persecution and know that God wins and to, and to keep your confidence in that was one thought that I had, had but I'd be curious to kind of get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. I think that's as good as three, isn't he? I mean, I mean, first of all, we'd say he put it in there cause it happened. Um, right. So he's recording, a pretty momentous event in the church. I, I do think the to me the key is between 23 and 24 where in 23 Herod is struck down but in 24 the word of God increases. And I think I do think what Luke is doing is giving the church confidence like you know here here's this guy who had all this power. But really where is the power located? It's it's in God. Like it's in his message. It's the message of the kingdom. That's where the true power is located here and and I think for a church that's living in the first century that's probably facing some pretty serious persecution, they need to be reminded, yeah whoever's in power now they they may right. they may have the appearance of power, but don't forget what about happened to her like right. it, eventually he was struck down and and that will happen to all leaders who oppose god like and right. so I think there is a, a confidence element here that Luke's probably recording this just to remind the people the word of God increases, political leaders come and go right um
1: right, and I think it was very powerful just where we were at with this passage yesterday and think about everything that is happening in the Ukraine and Russia and Putin, you know, um, Putin's in the same category as Herod, right? I mean, <laughs> right? he's a ruler and he's here today and he'll be gone tomorrow. Right. Um, and to keep that perspective, I think that perspective is really, really important um, to remember that, that when we see evil people doing evil things, they will not be doing that forever. Um, God will vindicate. And God will bring about justice. And I even thought like, you know, this is probably a really good passage to read every election and every midterm. Right. Yep. Um, just because I think, I think that we can just put so much stock into getting the right people elected or fear when the wrong person gets elected into office, you know, whether it be president or the, which way, you know, Congress, you know, splits, um, just to remember and say, you know what? No matter how the outcome of the vote goes, the word of God will increase and multiply. And to rest in that and not rest in the outcome of, of, of elections, right? That yeah. God's ruling over all of that. And so we rest in that and trust in that. And God knows what he's doing. I think sometimes we feel like when our political candidate doesn't win that our world is going to fall apart. And that kind of indicates in some ways that God doesn't know what he's doing. Um
0: Right. Or that God's not on the throne. And
1: ultimately. God knows what he's doing. Yeah. No matter who wins, whether it's in the United States or Russia, God knows what he's doing. So yeah. let's rest in that.
0: Yeah. I, I do think there's a comfort um with wicked leaders, like to, to realize like this isn't the first time in history that there's been wicked leaders. It won't be the last time. Um, and at the end of the day, like the wicked leaders aren't going to win. Like, even if they win here, like they're not going to win eventually because they're going to face the judgment of God, right? That, that right. God is on his throne. Um, but I also think there is a warning too, and this is what you're getting at to not put too much hope in even good leaders, um, whatever, however you want to define good leader. And that's probably subject to interpretation for everybody, right? Like, but to say, well, we, we really are putting our hope in a good leader. Like, well, you know, I was just thinking about second Kings, like go, go, go read about, there's good leaders and there're bad leaders, mostly bad leaders, but there's, there's some good leaders too, particularly in Judah. Um, but you know what happens is they die too. And then before a few generations are past, the bad leader takes their place. Like, and, and there, there is no such thing as like a kingdom here that is perfect and will be established forever in a way that's healthy and good for the people. Like, because right. we live in a broken world, it's just going to be messed up and there's going to be messed up leaders and, and. You know we shouldn 't be surprised when there are wicked leaders who rise to the forefront. Go read second king sometime like it just it 's happened throughout history um, and it right. will continue to happen throughout history. We also should not put our hope in in worldly princes who are good because eventually they die too right right and so I think there 's I don't know, my perception, and, and I'm guilty of this too, is that we just get too wound up about who our earthly leaders are rather than focusing on who the true king is. Right. And I, I think if we did that, we would be a lot less anxious about things. And, and again, it's probably helpful to remember that like, even though we feel kind of disenfranchised as Christians more and more... And, and, you know, before this start we were going to have a conversation about how it feels like we're being more and more disenfranchised and like the Christians are being kind of pushed to the side and things. Right. Um, it's probably helpful to keep in mind that the first century church was way more disenfranchised than we were and way more ostracized than we were, and facing way more difficult circumstances than we were. And yet, Luke is writing this to encourage them. Hey, the Word of God increased and multiplied. Absolutely. And so I think as, as we get kind of wound up and think, oh, you know, Bo, this is going to be hard. It, you know, it's true. It might be hard. But let's not forget that Herod died, and the Word of God increased. And right. that's where this story's headed.
1: Right. And we don't know this for sure, but I would have to think that the guy that replaced Herod probably wasn't much better. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure if we did some research, we could figure out who it was, but he probably wasn't like super friendly right. to Christians. Well, and even if he was it didn't last forever either. That's the point.
1: And to think about up through this point in the book of Acts, from Acts 1 till now, it's not just here that the word increased and multiplied. The word has, the, the gospel has been spreading and increasing and multiplying throughout this whole book. And Herod was ruler. Sure. Up and to this point as well. And to say, you know what? If, if if the Word of God can spread in this day, the Word of God can spread if there's a Democratic president and the Democrats rule the House and the Senate. Guess what?
0: Or vice versa, right? Or vice versa. Yeah. Word
1: of God will still spread. Nothing is going to stand against the Word of God from being spread.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No matter whether you—however yeah, you feel about current leaders is really irrelevant if you remember who the king is on the throne. Right. And— You know, there are definitely times in church history where persecution does tamp down the church for a while. Like, we can point to examples where persecution actually spreads the gospel and makes it go further. But there's plenty of instances where persecution makes the church kind of get small for a while. Sure. And and we need to—because sometimes I think we make it sound like every time there's persecution, the church just spreads like wildfire. And that's true sometimes but sometimes it does make it seem like it's about to go out in certain regions. But the the word of God will in the end prevail and God will accomplish what he desires. And he is on the throne. And so, you know, whether, however you feel about politics, wherever your hope is, if it's in the democratic party or the Republican party or, you know, whatever other party, it doesn't matter. Like the, the thing that you need to remember is Jesus is on the throne and to put our hope there. Like, and as Christians, like that's the thing that we need to remind ourselves of most. Like, there, there will be Herod's that will come and go. Right. It doesn't matter. Herod is going to die. And right. I'm using Herod in a proverbial way here. Herod is right. going to die. Right. But Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead, and he will reign forever, and that's where our hope right. needs to be. And I think that's probably the greatest lesson to take away from this passage. Um, and, and to realize that God is just, and he's merciful. There, I mean, obviously, I talked about it yesterday, the lessons we can learn. But to me, the greatest lesson is that there's one king, and one kingdom that lasts forever. Let's not waste our time living for some other king or some other kingdom. It's a good word. All right. Anything else you want to cover today? Any other curveballs you want to throw? No. Nope. Get us into the deep, I've, deep weeds. I've got.
1: I've got no more curveballs.
0: Okay. Well, I think that was a good discussion. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that we provided satisfactory answers on some of the questions, but I, I think it's good just to wrestle through some of those things. Right. And and I, I think as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid to wrestle with things that we're not for sure we know the answer to. Right. And just. Hold them humbly and say, hey, we're doing our best to process Scripture here right. and think through this. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't know everything. And, and it's actually kind of fun to try to figure out, like, hey, right. as we grow, hopefully we'll figure these things out more. And right. so I would just encourage you, the podcast listener, whoever you may be, like just to continue thinking through the deep things of God. And don't be afraid to ask hard questions. It's okay to wrestle with stuff right. and, and not always to come to a firm conclusion, but realizing yes. like that God yep. does know, and there's, there's, there's value in wrestling. Right. Um, and, and not to say that we just say, oh, we don't know, who cares? Like, we should dive in and we should think, well, what, what does Scripture say here? Um, and try to do our best to process it.
1: And to be okay that, you know, we just did a 30-minute podcast and we wrestled and we don't really have the answers yet. And to say, we're going to keep wrestling with these things and to be okay to know that you're not always going to have a quick resolution to some deep theological questions, but it does mean that you continue to wrestle with them and work through them.
0: Right. But I, I think it's important too to say that there is an answer. Um, right. You know, we right. may not know it, but there is an answer. Right. Like you know, I think sometimes we make it sound like well the the you know, the, the process, the journey is more important than the destination. Well, yeah, I understand that. Sure. There there is some truth to that, but at the same time there is a destination. I meaning there is a truth, right? right? Like and so we, we can't just have this open ended conversation and say, Well, you know, your your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. No, there is an actual truth here that we're wrestling with. But I do agree with you hundred percent. Like sometimes on this side of heaven, we may never get there and we have to acknowledge we don't know everything. Um, We do our best to wrestle with it and process it and recognize there is a truth in the end and we have to do our best to figure it out. There we go. All right. Well, that's it for today. Acts 13, 1 to 12 is next week. In the meantime, if uh, you're on spring break this week, I hope you have a great spring break. If you're not on spring break, I hope you enjoy the great weather and that you are able to get some good time in the word this week. Until then, or until next week, have a great week. (music)